Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the weekly CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation. Glad to have back with us Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, good Monday morning to you. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend and looking forward to our conversation today. Morning, Jared. Happy Monday. Yeah, I'm... uh... A lot of good football this weekend, so I'm basking in the glow of that for now. Very eventful in that sense, so hope we all enjoyed some rest and relaxation for a couple of days. But here we are right back at it. And before we get into our conversation this morning, which will largely focus on the UBS Houseview Investment Strategy Guide for the month of February, we'll also talk about your most recent blog, Ebbs and Flows, which is available now up on UBS.com slash CIO. I do want to spend a few moments to start reflecting on the week that was last week. Markets had rebounded a bit on Friday. This was following a multi-session slump that threw some cold water on an otherwise relatively strong start to the year, which we've spoken about prior here on the snapshot. Though, Jason, from your vantage point, what would you say is behind the recent selling pressure in markets? Well, you're right, but if you look at the performance for the whole week, it doesn't seem that you know dramatic. But a lot of that was because we got a strong rally on Friday to kind of cover up for the three days earlier in the week that we were you know, down for equity markets. And the, I think the primary cause for that was data we got from, uh, you know, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and even Thursday of last week that was, you know, disappointing. Uh, there was data on retail sales that came in well below expectations. Uh, there was data on, uh, you know, manufacturing surveys that, again, sort of showed, you know, a pretty rapid decline, at least in terms of sentiment for that. And then in that sort of soft data and the hard data of actual industrial production that also declined for the second month in a row. So you add this up, it's, you know, shows clearly a, a slowing economy, the rebound sales number was the one that kind of spooked investors the most because thus far a real pillar in the economy has been, aside from a strong labor market, consumer spending and resiliency. Uh, and if we start to see that kind of crack, that's critical because, you know, the consumer is 70% approximately of the U.S. economy. So if that doesn't hold up, then it's hard to see the, the economy overall holding up. So we had a you know, string of sort of disappointing data with, uh, just at a time when investors were becoming more comfortable with it's a soft landing thesis where things were moderating, you know, but we'd avoid uh, a recession. Um, and there was a lot of talk, you know, prior to that, you know, in the first part of the year, so you know, data was getting worse, but you know, bad news is good news, meaning, you know, it's uh, kind of good for markets because it's weakening up enough that it allows the Fed to potentially pause, you know, rate hikes earlier than expected and just start cutting sooner than expected. Where last week, you know, the slowdown of the data is just maybe bad news is bad news because this is just saying the economy can go into recession regardless of what that does. But that was a story kind of earlier in the week. I think we also have to put in, you know, the market activity for the whole year thus far, three weeks in, a little bit of and take it with a grain of salt because at the start of the year, you, there's always a lot of portfolio rebalancing, position adjustments. And this year, it's been amplified by some pretty big sort of changes of sentiment in terms of the global economic outlook. Given what's happened in China in terms of a drop in their COVID zero policies, the much better sort of data coming out of Europe than expected. So you're seeing investors kind of you know, swing their portfolios around. It's only been true in the fixed income landscape, where now with yields higher, there's a lot of investors who are kind of putting their money in, both as a but also they can actually get income, and that's helped to drive yields even lower. Which 
if you looked at it superficially, that would you know, be a reaction to like investors are concerned about a recession risk and therefore there's a flight to safety. So there's um, you know, a lot of you know, technical noise that is also kind of complicating the signals and the information we can extract from the price activity. I think the story earlier last week at least was a little bit more concerned about you know, the slowdown in the U.S. economy, just how bad it, it might actually be. So as far as how the chief investment office is interpreting the kind of start we're off to here in 2023, I do want to turn now to the most recent UBS house view. This is for the month of February. The title of Mark Kafley, Global Chief Investment Officer, his monthly letter is Gauging Inflections, and our listeners might recall that 2023 was coined a year of inflections by the Chief Investment Office. We've spoken about that before, though within the monthly letter, it is mentioned how some parts of the economy will inflect sooner than others, which you also touched on, Jason, in your recent blog. I mentioned that title ebbs and flows. So what does CIO Jason see as the status of these potential inflection points, especially those that would move markets? There are three key inflection points that we identified in the year outlook and that are reviewed in the letter. One has to do with central bank policy. When will it kind of inflect where they can pause and ultimately kind of cut policy rates? The second is when will growth inflect, meaning, you know, it's slowing in different parts of the world. When it will it sort of inflect and start to actually kind of recover? And the third is the inflection on inflation. Now, in many cases, that already happened last year where inflation started to kind of roll over. Uh, I think that's where the one we're kind of most comfortable with, the one, the mar- the one that the markets are most comfortable with. But I think an important potential inflection point to watch there is after kind of coming down, does it inflect again where it maybe plateaus or worse yet kind of reaccelerates if the economy doesn't slow down enough? So it's really the other two that are that are most relevant. Uh, and there it's where, you know, depends on where you look and, and where you are in the world, the inflection points, uh, their timing is going to vary a little bit. So let's start with on the growth front. Uh, we just discussed the U.S. economic data. It's slowing. Uh, the question is how much, and you know what we can say is that the slowdown will continue this quarter, probably the next quarter, uh, and we won't want to see a bottom until at least the middle of the year, if not later this year. So an inflection point in U.S. growth is in probably a second half of the year story. A key question kind of goes back to like how much does growth slow? Where does that inflection point take place? You know, growth is slow in the U.S., but I think it's important to realize like this is not unexpected. This is a direct consequence of what the Fed was trying to do. Last year, the start of this year, in terms of tightening policy, it wants growth to slow below a long-term trend, which is approximately 2%, in order to bring inflation down by bringing sort of demand down. So the fact that this is happening is you know, clearly sort of as, as expected. When this you know, drag from uh, the tightening of monetary policy will sort of be at a maximum point, some people would say it's actually happening right now. Others suggest it's going to still take another quarter or two for that to happen. Um, but it does mean that the inflection point on, on U.S. growth uh, you know, is, is a little bit further down the line. If we look outside the U.S., though, the story is more optimistic. Uh, in China right now, it is a Chinese New Year's, so the country is basically shut down for the rest of this week. It also appears that the worst of their COVID wave is is now passing. So the expectation is that once we get into February, things can start to kind of recover and we accelerate as the economy fully reopens. So China's inflection point on growth looks like it's this quarter, later this quarter. Then if you go to Europe, you know, the winter season has been much better than expected in terms of warm weather, demand for energy prices. As a result, you know, natural gas prices have fallen dramatically. That's improved the growth outlook, also the inflation outlook. So whether Europe inflects this quarter or next, you know, it's you know debatable exact timing, but you know, it's it's relatively soon. And the key point is both are earlier than the US. And we can actually see it very clearly in some of the 
if survey data uh, and economic data in Europe, it's getting better than expected, whereas in the U.S. it's going to get worse than expected. Uh, and then the final point is the inflection points for policy. We have a Fed meeting that comes up uh, you know, next week, so they, they announce on February 1st, next Wednesday, what they tend to do. It's very likely it's 25 basis points. The next meeting is mid-March. I think 25 basis points that is still you know, the most likely scenario. We'll have you know, a couple more months of data for them to assess. And then we would think that's probably when they're going to pause. That's certainly when the market anticipates it. But when do they pivot and actually start cutting? That's unlikely to happen until late this year, boring things getting much worse. And I think other major central banks are roughly on that timeline. If, if not done by March, then maybe done by you know, April or May. So we're getting kind of close to that. So the inflection points are getting near some closer for, you know, outside of the U.S. than they are here. And I think that's an important point because it's kind of driving some divergence as we're seeing in the global economy. Looking a little bit better ex-U.S. than right now in the U.S. is kind of lagging in some sense of terms of when those inflection points will materialize. There's a lot taking shape, and I do think it's important to highlight, Jason, within your blog, you made a very good point. Again, that title ebbs and flows, but you do highlight that market narratives can shift quickly based on just a few data points. So what do you mean by that, Jason? Can you expand a bit there and as well speak to the market implications from such a dynamic? Well, let's go back to early January when we got the December payrolls report or jobs report. The focus is clearly on the average hourly earnings and whether it's going to moderate after a surprisingly high print in early December. It turns out the December average hourly earnings came in a little bit below expectations, but the prior two months were also revised lower. So going into that data uh, release, the three-month kind of annualized increase in average hourly earnings came into 5.8%. After that data release, the three-month annualized number was down to 4.1%. That's a very dramatic move from you know, inflation problem to something where like the wage story, the inflation story is getting you know quite a bit better, all for one data point. Uh, and we saw you know, last week with some of the data on retail sales and manufacturing, clearly you know people became more concerned about the growth. So when you have you know sort of a data point or you know a couple of data points that can kind of swing the market narrative, that means the markets are kind of vulnerable to moving around a whole lot. It's a pretty fine line to go from kind of you know, bad economic data is good news for the markets because it means the Fed easing to you know, bad economic data is bad news for the markets because it means a recession is coming no matter what the Fed does. Um, and with investors also have been really focused on you know, growth uh, you know, slowing, uh, they're much more comfortable that inflation is going to fall. That's different than what it was last year. But we can kind of get a reversal of that at some point where if actually growth ends up you know, kind of stabilizing, it also might imply that inflation gets sticky and so it doesn't fall far enough. So that view could flip as well. Given what we talked about in terms of key inflection points, you know, as we get closer to them, the markets are going to, you know, very focus on, you know, individual data points and see, like, are we kind of there yet in terms of that inflection? Uh, and that's going to lead the markets to potentially swing, you know, quite a bit, you know, as these narratives flip-flop between good news and bad news or, or just bad news and what is the greater risk, slowing growth or, or, or sticky inflation. Um, and this is going to mean the markets are going to be sort of challenging you know, to navigate, you're going to get kind of these you know, market swings and oscillations and ebbs and flows, you know, similar to what we've had for the past nine months. You know, maybe it's up kind of smaller amplitudes in terms of the ranges and sort of shorter durations. This could happen over the course of a few weeks, not a few months. I think that's kind of the, um, you know, the dynamic that we're going to be in for the time being as 
you know, everyone is so focused on, you know, the data, try to confirm how we reach one of these you know, inflection points. And, and that will be the case until it's clear we've reached those points and it moved beyond it. So, Jason, if we bring this all together, I mentioned that the UBS House View update for February is now available for our listeners and clients. Uh, there were quite a few changes made within. So can you take a few moments here as we close out to walk us through the changes to the investment preferences and asset allocation recommendations? per the House View update? It will be a tricky environment to you know, be invested in and to, to navigate, but it's important for investors to sort of stay invested and then look for opportunities to kind of selectively add exposure as things get you know, do get better, as we see some of those inflection points where there's kind of attractive risk rewards. The other thing that we've learned for the past couple of months is that the markets move very quickly. You know, when the narratives change, uh, and it's hard to, to kind of capture that or hard to kind of win the game you know, if you're not actually playing the game. So you need to sort of be invested because, you know, when the news you know, moves, you know, we've seen Chinese equity up 50% in two and a half months. EM equities up, you know, kind of 20%. European equities up 30% in some cases. You know, the, you know, interest rates have declined, you know, quite dramatically. So I think it's important to you know, to kind of, you know, be invested. The second thing is that, you know, there's still uncertainty until we get to those inflection points. So the overall portfolio position guidance that we're giving is to kind of stay, you know, relatively cautious, uh, you know, don't take excessive risks. Be a little more defensive-oriented within sectors. Uh, up in quality within fixed income. Favoring still value over group stocks. Looking for some you know income opportunities that you can get you know yield, and then selectively add sort of cyclical opportunities you know, to play the fact that these inflection points are, are getting close. You know if they're not here just yet. The changes in in our house view preferences this month kind of reflect that. Uh, we've upgraded commodities to you know most preferred. This kind of reflects the view that globally the outlook is a little bit better than it was just a month ago, you know, driven by the improvements we're seeing in China and Europe. Kind of related to that, we've upgraded emerging market equities also to most preferred. Uh, China is about a third of the EM index, and so certainly the China story is, is a big part of that, but it's not the whole story. There are spillover benefits to the rest of EM from, from China opening up you know, because of you know, better or higher commodity prices. That's going to benefit a country like you know, Brazil, which is a commodity exporter, and there the valuations are being attractive, and it's something that we still you know, have liked you know, just last fall. Other parts of you know, Asia can benefit from the China reopening. It's been three years since Chinese citizens can really travel outside of the country due to the COVID measures. Uh, probably a lot of pent-up you know, travel demands there, so people filtering out throughout different parts of Asia, so that should benefit you know, other economies there. Again, that's going to show up, and it should benefit you know, some of the equity markets in those regions as well. Uh, and then the third thing we did was upgrade our preference uh, for the euro as a currency, going from least preferred to neutral. The European outlook is also looking better than we anticipated just from a month ago. That should benefit uh, you, know, the, you know, the growth story there. That all is equals benefits the euro. At the same time, you know, the, the dollar did very well last year. It started to moderate. And if this relative divergence of performance continues, and that should help uh, the euro. So, you know, more neutral on, on, on that. And then within U.S. equities, the upgraded consumer discretionary from a least preferred to neutral. Discretionary was one of the worst performing last year, down around 40%. Uh, one of the knock-on benefits, though, is that its valuation has become much more reasonable this time last year, the premium versus its 15-year average was, was about a 25% premium. Now it's back to that long-term average or even slightly below, some more attractive valuations. And then discretionary stocks, you know, should benefit from the slightly better macro environment overall, you know, that we see, especially outside of the U.S., 
Uh, so not a time necessarily to be kind of you know, underweight discretion or given potential improvements there. So this is sort of like a select cyclical opportunity that we're, we're less negative on. We offset that by kind of further downgrading to even more sort of least preferred, you know, the tech sector, which still faces cyclical headwinds, valuations are elevated. Uh, and if interest rates rise, uh, I think they might, at least in the very near term, you know, growth stocks, you know, should be hit, you know, or impacted by those those rising rates. And then just on the final point regarding interest rates, we didn't change any of our preference for fixed income, but we'd be cautious, you know, at least on a very tactical horizon of adding sort of exposure to treasuries or other higher quality, longer duration fixed income. We've seen a dramatic decline in, in treasury yields this year between like 25 and 40 basis points, depending on the maturity. Uh, this is reflecting now your know, concerns about a recession in the market that's ultimately kind of cutting rates quite aggressively starting you know, later this year into next year. So concerns about growth and also a pretty benign view that inflation is going to come down. And then you know, bonds in general, treasuries as well, have benefited from a fair amount of kind of inflows into the asset class this year as investors rebalance their portfolio to start this year, take advantage of the fact that you know fixed income will give you yield in a way that it hasn't in a while. Um, there's also been a lot of you know, consensus view to have a carry trade, meaning you know, going into asset classes that can give you more income. Um, so you see it's evident in the fund flows, and that's also provided a tailwind for yields to come down. Eventually, those fund flows kind of moderate, so that tailwind goes away, and any news that would suggest growth or inflation is higher than expected you know, should also push up yields. So we think that you know, the 10 years, as an example, if it's trading as low as 3.4%, that's kind of the bottom of the range. 3.94% is the top of the range. So we think the direction of travel is for rates to go higher, which means there's going to be more you know, attractive entry points if you want to you know, increase your, your long-duration bond exposure in your portfolio. Maybe not just do it right now. You know, wait a little, little bit to give them the likely backup, we think, in, in yields. Well, Jason, thank you for the run-through of the asset allocation changes. A lot of considerations there, and thank you for bringing our listeners, our clients, up to speed on CIO's latest thinking on the market and macro environment. It's always good to take a pulse and see how markets are performing and why. So very productive conversation to begin another week. Jason, thank you for joining us as always, and looking forward to picking back up with our snapshot conversation in the week ahead. You're welcome, and have a good week. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.